and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Alexander, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go give us a call? It's 291-6901. And you put a 225 in front of that number. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. That's right, and we certainly wish you would. We always enjoy hearing from you and getting your perspective on things. If you have a problem or something's been bugging you, you just give us a call. We'll glad to try to help you out and talk about it and try to work it on through. There you go, <laughs> because things that happen down here in the South don't necessarily happen up North. Well, that's right. To automobiles anyway. And vice versa. <laughs> <laughs> of course, I guess far and away, problems are pretty much universal uh, yeah. across the board. I guess everything goes so far. Things that are taken care of tend to go further. Things that are not taken care of tend to give more problems. And so there are some kind of universal things there. Yeah. But a lot of times... The extreme temperatures, maybe cold or hot in the south, we probably do more air conditioning work in the south than, say, um, someone up north might. I'm sure. And by the same token, they probably do a whole lot more cold heater weather. And, right, heater-related. Be issues. it heater or whatever it may be. So, yeah, there are different perspectives in different parts of the country. And in areas where things are very, very mild, there's just a whole different set of circumstances mm-hmm. there. I know I was talking with a gentleman the other day, and we were just talking about the average age of cars that we worked on. Right. And I said, we probably see a huge amount of 10-year-old cars. Sure. And quite a few 15, 20-year-old cars that are still being driven, still in pretty good shape. And he was up in the Rust Belt somewhere. I don't gotcha. remember exactly where, but he said, man, we don't see any cars that old. He says, they, they just don't away. last. Yeah, they just yeah. don't last. The rust gets to them. The road salts and stuff get to right. them. Right. So. You can always tell one that's, that's been up there and is, has gotten driven down to the south. Mm-hmm. As soon as you get it on the rack, you can look underneath <laughs> it. Boy, you, that, that's a car that is on its last leg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If they're not breaking in half. They... Exactly. Everything's rusted up and the bolts are rusted shut. And... Yep. They're real hard to real hard to operate on. Yeah, well, one guy that I was talking to, he was remarking on how many times they have to change out brake lines and how much time they Steel change lines. out fuel lines. Yeah, the mm-hmm. the lines just rust away, and that's a repair that we hardly ever make. Hardly ever any and steel lines. And when we do, it's generally a car that's been up north that's come down south that is having that problem. But, I mean, maybe once a year, maybe every two years, we'll see a car with a rusted out brake line. Right. Uh, rusted out fuel line. Of course, mostly fuel lines are plastic now, uh, that high-density uh, plastic. So you really don't, even up north, you don't see too much problem with that. But, yeah, it, it is kind of different, the, the things that you see and uh, just the, the prospect. The it, repairs you have to make. Yeah, that's why I always used to like going to conventions and trade shows and stuff and meeting with some of the guys from mm-hmm. around the country and around the world and just talk a little bit about the differences uh, in, the, in the things that we see. And right. So on as that. So There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we had a vehicle come in earlier this week, and the power steering had gone. I think it was a 2012 Malibu. 2012 Malibu with hundred and almost 190,000 miles yeah, on it. Yeah, he so this drives vehicle it a lot. been in the road. Yeah, he drives it a lot, and he was saying, well, you know, I think maybe the pump has gone out or something because I don't have power steering a lot of times. Uh-huh. He actually got a display message. I forget the message. I think it was a power service power steering system or something like that. Something to that extent. To that extent. You really didn't need much of a message because you couldn't always turn the wheel. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> but it was electric power steering, and some people are kind of taken aback when you tell them it's electric power steering. There is no power steering pump any longer. Right. No hydraulic pump, no hydraulic lines, no hydraulic... The uh, hydraulic right, spirit. Right. The hydraulics <laughs> it's, are gone. It's, it's all electric. electric. And more and more and more, we are seeing the electric power steering on cars. And I guess it's a precursor to 
I don't know if it's electric cars they're planning for the future or whatever they're doing. Possibly it's less expensive for them to assemble because they don't have to attach a pump to the motor. It all comes in assembly. Don't have to bleed the hydraulics out. Right. Correct. They don't have to run hoses. It's, it's less connections for them. They just pop a column in, hook it to a rack and pinion, and it's gone. And that is very good from their perspective. But when it breaks, it is a different skill set that requires to diagnose these kinds of problems it really is this vehicle was optioned you could either get it with a hydraulic system mm -hmm. or you could get it with a, an electric system which they offered two variations of that electric system right one of them has an electric motor that hooks to the steering column with several sensors on it that torque sensor and so yeah forth. it senses measures, how hard you turn the wheel. measures how hard you turn the wheel back and forth and it does a calculation and it's not a electric motor, as you would say. It's almost like a stepper motor. Right, that's correct. They can pulse the voltage to it and make it turn so far in and out, which makes the steering turn because you're turning off of the steering rack, I mean off of the column, mm -hmm. into the rack. And not only can it sense the direction that you're turning, but it can sense the torque. The how amount, hard you're turning. How hard you're turning, how fast you're turning, and all that. It also takes into account the vehicle speed. Mm -hmm. So it, it pumped the feeling up when right. you're parking. Right. So you got a better feel. It turns easier. Right. And as you're going down the road, it backs off of Decreases that measurement. It. So you get more of a road feel like right. a manual steering car would have well, and on we, the road. We've had variable power steering for years and years and years with hydraulics. And it had either a sensor that would work a solenoid that would cut the pump boost. Or some had a mechanical type right. valve that would do different things at different times variable displacement pumps and on and on and on and on so that's not a new development but it is a new technology that uh, electric it using. all work yeah the thing is he was saying well do i have to take that back to the dealer and so no no not at all we service all that kind of stuff and a right. lot of people have a mistaking feeling that a lot of high-tech things that the dealers only want to fix it and that's just not so most independent shops or any independent shop that's well-equipped is going to be able to do anything that a dealership can do. Sure. Uh, basically, the only thing that you have to go back to a new car dealer for would be either a recall or warranty work that's manufacturer-related. It's a manufacturer's warranty. You have to go back to them because they like to pay those guys less money to do it. And recalls are administered through the manufacturers right. who send you back to their dealerships to, to have, have it, done. it done. So that's the only two things you would ever really have to go back to a dealership for. As far as the technical aspects of it, most independent shops are going to be as or more qualified than the dealership are to handle these kinds of problems. Sure. And certainly there are some dealerships that are excellent out there. I'm not saying not taking anything away from that. But there are lots of independent shops that are as good or better. Sure. And the same thing the other way. There are some independent shops that maybe aren't as good, and there are some dealerships that aren't very good. So just being a dealership only means one thing primarily, and that is the guy who owns the dealership paid the manufacturer for the right to sell those kind of cars. He bought a franchise. Okay. And so he's got a right to sell those kind of cars, but they don't regulate the way the shop is operated. In other words, on customer pay work, they're free to put aftermarket parts on the car if they wish to. Mm -hmm. They are free to do the work in any way, shape, or form they care to. Now, on warranty work, they have to follow the manufacturer's guidelines, use certain kinds of parts, do things a certain way. Certain labor rates. And they're going to get paid a certain amount, which right. is less than the going rate. But... The point is, if the shop foreman or the owner of the dealership is a gearhead and he likes doing things right and he's a good, honest man, you're going to have a great dealership. You are. If he's not, if he's 
just something turn. else, <laughs> <laughs> then you're going to have that. You're going to have something else, just like you would in an independent shop. There won't be any difference there. The fact that they've got a name of a car company out front does not necessarily mean one's going to be better than another or more advanced than another, mm-hmm. better trained or anything else. All the same training is available to both. The well, same I mean, tooling is available to both. And you treat them the same way. The the dealership and the aftermarket mm-hmm. and the independent, you treat them the same way. Right. You find one you like. You find one you can talk to, one that understands what how you want your car fixed, right? And you build a relationship with That's them. Right. It's just like any other thing. repair or any other thing. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Matter. You know, I've got a lot of restaurants in New Orleans because we eat out quite a bit, and in virtually every restaurant down there, I've got one server that I really like. Sure. And if they're there, I always request them because they know how we like to do things. They know mm-hmm. the way it's, it's, I like to be served, and I don't like a person who is cold and I'm going to say rude, although they may not see it as rude. They just they just don't have much to say. They just uh-huh. pronounce it. I don't like that. I prefer a person who's a little more friendly. But on the other side of the coin, I don't want someone who's going to sit there and tell me a life story. Right. I don't like a person who's too chatty. Right. So it's a balance between the two. And when they and I understand each other, we have a very good experience. And when I'm spending 100 bucks for a plate of food, sure. I really like to have a good experience. So kind of straight from the point, but it's the same exact thing. You build a relationship. Same thing with a dry cleaner or anything else. He knows how you want your shirts pressed. He knows how you like your pants done, so on as that. And you find a guy who can do that consistently, and that's the guy you give your business to. Exactly. You wouldn't continue to go back to a dry cleaner because they had the name of the pants that you bought. Right. (laughs) And and every time you get them back, they're either still dirty or they ripped a button off or they pressed a, a crease into them. You wouldn't accept that just because they were a franchised cleaner. But somehow people tend to accept poor service many times when they could get better Better service service somewhere else. Yes, somewhere else. So there are definitely people who like the dealership. They have a good dealership experience. That's great. I I would suggest they keep on using them. Exactly. But if you're having a poor experience, don't overlook the fact that there is an entire other set of possibilities out there. And we get that a lot where be it a power window sometimes or, or work where we have to remove the dash. And it's right. like, well, I thought only the dealer could. No, no, no. We do all that work. And just about anything on a car, cars anymore, the nature of the work is not so important as the type of car that it is. Because whether you're working on anti-lock brakes, a check engine light, trash control, a DVD player, it's all basically electronics. Sure. The same Everything scan is- tools, the same oscilloscopes, the same things knowing the same things are necessary one system to another is not that much of a big jump or or leap however going from say a american car to a european car is a totally different thing because if you don't have the tooling to work on that then you're not going to be able to service it well not not very efficiently not just the tooling but the knowledge of how the system works they do things right because took and we set the set the same symptom in a chevrolet truck and a toyota truck that's right got two different codes two totally different codes. one set an o2 sensor code the other one set a mass airflow code right and all it was was a big vacuum leak yeah neither one had that problem correct but we sometimes because we don't work on european cars we're just not equipped for them we're not trained for them we don't maintain the the service data for them and you know anymore it takes a shop between probably ten and fifty thousand dollars for every different kind of car they're going to work, and that's per year, to buy and and keep maintain and maintain and, and, and right. update all the tooling, equipment, and knowledge. 
and so you have to draw the line somewhere. In Baton Rouge, there's not that many imported cars as far as European cars. It's just not enough for us to afford to tool up and get people on board to do just that work because not enough of them. Right. We couldn't recoup it. There are people who do that work. So sometimes you can have to go to a different place. For a particular uh, to, to type of vehicle. Done. Doesn't right. mean you have to go back to the dealer. You just have to find an independent shop that services that kind of car. But basically where I was going with all that, within the things on a given car, for instance, on a Toyota, we can do virtually anything. Sure. On a General Motors, Ford, Ford Chrysler. Chrysler, Acura, Honda, Lexus, any of these cars, we can do anything because the same tooling does everything on that one car. Sure. So it's not broken down so much by repair processes as, as it, it is, is by manufacturer manufacturer types. Because if you're not equipped, you know, I have a guy says, well, can you align my Porsche for me? I said, no, sir, I really can't. Well, it's just alignment. I said, well, it's, it's not, not just, just alignment, alignment anymore. No, yeah. You got trash control and all this stuff that ties in. There are sensors that have to be reset, yaw sensors, angle sensors, so on, that I'm not equipped to fool with. Correct. Because I don't have that tooling and I don't have that information and all that. So you'd be better off to take it. Well, he said, I want you to, well, I'm sorry, and I appreciate that, but I'm just not equipped to work on that particular car. Now, on your Toyota, your Honda, your domestic car, Nissan, Mazda, whatever, yeah, most Asian and all domestic cars, we are equipped to do anything on the car. Exactly. I mean, with the exception of maybe body work, you know, and, and we can even do some of that because we do framework in, in our shop, but uh, I can't paint the car for you. But uh, <laughs> virtually anything beyond that, you know, any, any kind of repair, that you're going to run across, we're equipped to do it. And, I mean, that could be a power window. That could be an instrument cluster not working, navigation system, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Hey, we're going to take a quick little break and be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. I'm here with John, an actual Agco Automotive customer. I've been taking all of my cars to Lewis for a long time. I go in regularly for all changes, and if they notice anything else wrong, they let me know. It's just like going in for a checkup at the doctor. So you're saying the mechanics at Agco are like physicians? Car doctors. They don't ever miss a diagnosis. And I have three cars with over 100,000 miles on them. Agco suggests bringing in your vehicle once a year for a general inspection. They'll check it out and even let you know if it's best to invest in repairs or possibly look for another vehicle. Yep, regular maintenance with Agco keeps my cars running fine. And regular checkups at the doctor keeps this old 80-year-old in good shape, too. You're 80? John, I hope I look that good when I'm your age. Well, son, I think it's kind of late for that. Oh, I see your wit's pretty sharp, too. So, schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. Just join us at the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. We sure appreciate you spending your Saturday morning with us. We'll appreciate a call. If you got something on your mind, you give us a call, and we'll be glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. That's right. it. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> we were talking earlier about finding a shop you can get along with, and mm-hmm. I thought of something during the break. You got the guy that wants to fix the car himself, which is fine, but if you start throwing parts at it, mm-hmm. you're going to get in a whole lot of trouble real quick because cars today are a lot easier to change parts on. Yeah, they are. They are simple well, to change parts they're on. they're built to be easy to assemble, which means they're usually easy to disassemble. And swapping out parts is not the problem. Diagnosing the problem is the problem. That is the big, big, big thing, particularly with this huge proliferation of electronics and the way that one component can affect so many other components. Exactly. It's almost impossible to look at the symptom and figure out 
what's wrong with the car. We get that all the time where people will call and so it feels like it's running out of gas. What does that feel like? Mm-hmm. Because I don't know what feels like running out of gas means. I'm assuming <laughs> it means a misfire or something like that. It's, but it's not running properly. Yeah, and most time they've got a throttle position sensor bad or they got an airflow meter that's dirty or they got on and on and on uh, right. and on, on. Nothing to do with the fuel system at all. Bad ignition coil on the Ford is very common. Broken wire crank sensor. Broken I mean, wire and on and on We see all kinds of things like but that. But, yeah, if you go in and start changing out parts, it's like I always jokingly tell people, I say, well, if you just got to – Start throwing to, parts at. Go find something cheap, man. I mean, go get you one of little Christmas tree shaped air flips to trash and hang <laughs> on over your mirror. It ain't gonna fix it, but at least it won't cost much. Your car smell pretty good. There you <laughs> go. <laughs> Let's go to our phone lines. Bruce, good morning, Bruce. Good morning. How's yes, it sir. going? Doing great, sir. Good morning. I've got a 07 GMC pickup. Okay. And the uh, part of the emission system is the piece that it's under the floorboard. I can't remember what it's called. It has been changed three times in the truck already. Evap valve. Yeah, probably evap yeah, right. valve. Yep. Okay. What causes that? It's just poor quality part, in my opinion, Mr. Bruce. They've redesigned that part a couple of times. I don't know if they got it right yet. They said initially, and not on the 07s, but on some of the earlier models, that the position where it was located was causing it to draw too much debris into the valve, so they moved it. Then they came out with a filter on it, and they just keep going out. I think it's just a low-quality part myself. That, that's got to be. Yeah, they, they do go out quite a bit. And yeah, and that particular valve is about 125 bucks. It depends on the application. Some of them are $30, and some of them are $180. Well, mine must be the $180. <laughs> yeah, some of them are real expensive. Some of them are cheap. Now, look just like, so I yeah. don't know what the yeah. difference is there. Yeah, now. There are also a few other things that can give that code and not be that part. We had one guy who had changed that valve three times, and every time it came up, it was a vent valve code. And what we found out was that the wire running from the computer to the vent valve that grounds it had a a little break in it. So what would happen is that that wire would open. It would would throw a vent valve code. He would change the vent valve. When he did, he would move the harness around. It would start working. It worked for about six months to a year. Then it would happen again. He changed vent valve. He moved the harness around. It started working again. So that's what happened on that particular case. And there are other things, too. So you want to make sure that it is getting properly diagnosed and not just treating a symptom. But all that said, yes, I have seen repeated failures on those. Generally, once every year, year and a half, they, they look go like out. they go out a lot. Yeah. Oh, well, if that's the case, mine's normal then. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, you can take that valve out and turn it over on the – on a piece of paper, knock it out, and you can knock tons of dirt out yeah, of it. Yeah, they suck a lot oh, yeah, of dirt in. So I think that may be part of it, that the little pendle gets hung up, well, one can't close all the way or something with the dirt, and then it sets the code. Or uh, It's one thing that I was told about it is the placement of it gets filthy dirty. Mm-hmm. Well, they used to have one between the cab and the bed in that opening, uh-huh. and it would open when it rained, right, and it would suck in. water in. And they came well, out with you yeah. take a piece of heater hose, and you'd extend the filter out to a different area and relocate it. Now, you might want to make sure it's not a bulletin for relocating on an updated or revised right. valve for your particular truck because well, uh, sometimes they have done that and they may not uh, be putting a revised valve on it. Well, I think mine has. The first time it went out was in warranty. Okay. Mm-hmm. And it took them a while to do all that, and, uh, so apparently they were changing something on it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I don't know whether they did or not. Yeah, you just want to check and make sure you got the latest and greatest rendition because they right. have revised it a few times and they have relocated the inlet and so on and so forth. But to answer your question, yeah, that's pretty common for those to go out on uh-huh. a fairly regular basis. Because you had said one time that with just a little bit more, those would be great pickup trucks. Yeah, if they yeah. were just... And, uh, mine has been. That is the only problem I've yeah. had with it. 
Well, and you know, there, there's a number of things that I can name at so many miles that just go out on those trucks. And what really gives me the reds is like you just said, with a little effort, they could have made a really good truck. And they just didn't put that little effort in. And you know, I think they're aware of these problems. They just don't want to spend the money to fix them. Well, that's exactly like to what me. it is. Because, well, look at it this way: if it cost them two dollars per vehicle, right. and when you're putting out millions of them, that's right, exactly. That's a 10, lot of money. Ten million vehicles—that's twenty million dollars a year. <laughs> uh, but on the other hand, you spend fifty million on warranty work. Well, so. yes and no. I mean, they most of them make it out of the warranty period, but well, mine didn't. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. Well, all thank right, you, man. man. Thank you. All bye. right. Bye bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of Automotive Eye, we would absolutely love to have you. And we're going back to the phone line with Stuart. Good morning, Stuart. Good morning, Lewis and Brian. How you Good doing, morning, Stuart? Uh, as you realize and know that I'm a little anal, and I was looking <laughs> at my, my sister-in-law's 2014 Camry she okay. got a couple of years ago, and uh-huh. I was looking for the power steering pump. Right. I was listening to your previous show uh-huh. on the computer just a little while ago. Anyway, is there... Is that an electronic power steering on the Camry? It could very well know? be. They come both ways, Stuart. I would have to look it up in service okay. data or see the car. Right, but I'd have to see if the you car. do not see a power steering pump on it, then very likely it's going to be electric. Yeah, I've looked at every place. That every the, nook and uh, cranny, yeah. yeah would, just, uh, would drive it. And, uh, and you know, it's too. not inherently a bad system. GM has had a lot of trouble with theirs. They had a recall on for a while, but it ended after so many miles. Toyota really hasn't had much problem with them. But it's just a different system. You know, it's not, like I said, inherently good or bad. It's just different. It's way more complicated to diagnose and most of the time the fix is to replace the steering column when they go bad right oh my god well there's a big sensor down in the bottom that's made into the column and you got to take the column out to get to it so right all these years that the hydraulics have been doing great yeah virtually now they got to change it yeah didn't have a lot of trouble with hydraulic steering but it's like everything else it affords some opportunities to do other stuff like the self-parking cars and all that right depending on the electric steering and it gives them, you know, they can do more cool features and stuff with it. That doesn't really matter to me and probably not to you, but that's just where it's going. It's a lot less labor-intensive to install a electric system than it is a hydraulic system also. Well, and you're talking about a full... You and t- possibly lighter at, and weight. Look at a full electric car. I mean, a full electric car with an electric motor does not have anywhere for a power steering pump to be put on it. That's right. So if they can do this all with electric, you still have your same feel for your power steering, but then you don't have all the... They added on, tried to add on hydraulics that right. would come without it. That's right. That just tells me I better try to keep my tired iron <laughs> going a long time. Well, as long <laughs> as you can, that's for sure. <laughs> See you all later. All right, all right thanks, so man. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. all right, we're going right back to our phone line with TJ. Good morning, TJ. Hey, good morning, Lewis and guys. Good morning. Um, uh, Lewis, I got a 06 Dodge 3500 5.9 Cummins. Uh-huh. I got a feed sensor code on that thing the other day when my speedometer went out. Okay. And I uh, I changed the uh, speed sensor in, in the rear end and uh, still don't have anything. Right. That's not and, the one for the speedometer. The one in the rear end is for the ABS. So you got to watch because there's about four speed sensors on there or more. It might be more than that. So you got to be a little careful. When it says speed sensor, you can't just go find a part that says speed sensor and change it. I'm up against okay. the brake. If you can hold on, I'll sure, give I would. you a whole sure. lot more pound. Right. All you. right. We're going to take a quick little break and be right back with more in the Automotive Hour. I'm here with Stewart, life insurance rep and Agco Automotive customer. That's me. 
So, Stuart, as an Agco customer driving a car with 245,000 miles, you believe in preventative maintenance, right? I sure do. You know, having your car checked out annually can prevent major repairs, just like an annual insurance review. That reminds me of the old insurance story about the poor lady at her husband's funeral who asked her agent about death benefits, and he informs her that old Joe's first wife is still the beneficiary. Oh, an annual review would have helped, huh? That's why Agco suggests bringing in your vehicle once a year for a general inspection to get an honest opinion on the maintenance and repairs needed to help keep your car running. Oh, I'm definitely a believer. So, on another note, my wife wants to increase my life insurance policy by a couple million. Should I be worried? All I can say is some flowers and a gift card to the spa couldn't hurt. Mmm, good point, Stuart. For the rest of you out there, schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you just joined us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldersand, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Just give us a call. And we're talking to TJ, and TJ says your speedometer quit working. You had a sensor coach. You replaced the one we were in, which didn't help. TJ, you got to watch because those things use multiple sensors. The one right. that you want is probably going to be in the transmission. However, you got to watch there, too, because there's two of them in the transmission. Yeah. One's a turbine sensor, which reads the torque converter. The other's the output sensor. Oh, i got a six-speed in this thing. Standard? Yes, a okay. six-speed. Yeah, well, yeah. you have one in the transmission somewhere. And you got to also watch some vehicles, and I'm not sure on that one, they don't use a sensor. They use a combination of averages between sensors. We had a Ford MDX come in the other day, mm-hmm. and it was throwing ABS code, and the sensor was unplugged. We're trying to figure out which one it was. I unplugged three of the sensors, and it still worked. Any, right. You can unplug any three. It would just take the fourth one. It would just average off the four. Right. And so it makes it devil to try to figure out what's going on. Now, another yeah. thing, too, TJ, because it's setting a speed sensor code doesn't mean the sensor's bad. That's way, true. way more often, we run across connectors on those that are bad. The connector is bad, and it's not making a good connection with the sensor. And also, the instrument cluster can go out, which will give you – Pretty much the same thing. All it knows is not getting a signal, so it's going to set a speed sensor code. Yeah. Unfortunately, you're either going to have to have a digital lab scope to read the signal or a Chrysler scan tool where you can read and see where the signal's coming from, what's dropping out, and all that. I okay. mean, if you just want to try to change another part and hope for the best, you could try the one in transmission, but again, that very well may not fix well, it. Well, let me tell you, Lewis, I got up under there, mm-hmm. and the only thing I saw on the side of that transmission was a daggum backup switch yeah. sensor, and that's the only thing on the side of this transmission. Well, uh, there's no other sensor on it. Well, and it may be part of that. I don't know. I'd have to look it up. I just don't know. It may be part of the backup light. It may be part of the manual lever position sensor. It may even be internal to the transmission. Okay. I okay. mean, you know, without having the service data on that exact one to look it up and look figure it out. How it, would it make any difference if I had my brake light, my ABS light, and my check engine light are all three on on my dash? Does that make any, any Well, yeah, uh, all, every one of those is going to read off of a speed okay. sensor. And again, okay. the same thing, if it's a bad connection, it's going to all do the same thing. In other words, the, sure. the check engine light knows there's supposed to be a speed signal. And it it's may, not right. seeing it. If it was an automatic, it'd probably shift funny, but you got a six-speed, so you're not seeing that aspect. But the ABS is probably reading off of it, and on and on and on it goes. Now, that one in the rear end, it is possible that that is the correct sensor, and maybe the wire was the problem and not the sensor. Okay. Or it could even be something inside the rear end. There's a big ring gear in that rear end. Something in there could be causing it. So there's just so many possibilities. It's really hard to guess, you know, without knowing exactly what (laughs) system you got. Right. But my tax still works. That was weird. Well, Uh, tax is totally different. That reads off the crank sensor. That's the engine. It doesn't have anything to do with vehicle speed. Okay, all right. 
Okay. All right. So thanks. Uh, I guess we'll have to have that digital I'm gonna, read on it. Like I'm going to tell you, it would be cheaper to take it to someone who can scan it for you and tell you exactly what part, even if you want to do the work yourself. Yeah. It would be cheaper to pay somebody a few bucks. I know something like that would probably take half hour or less to diagnose. So it's okay. not going to be a really expensive diagnosis. And a guy who's got the tooling and the knowledge of how to do it and where to go, he could point out, okay, yeah, this is what it is. And then if you okay. want to change it yourself, you could change it. But, sure. I mean, you change one or two sensors, and you already spent more money than it would have cost to find out what it really was. That's true. Thank you so much, Willis. Right. Appreciate okay, it. Thanks. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive, right, we'd love to have you. Another possibility is that it was the sensor in the rear end, and the one you got was defective. And possible. That happens happens quite, quite a, bit. a bit. Yeah. In fact, two or three weeks ago, we were talking about aftermarket parts and so on, and we got a really nice gentleman who wrote us a letter. He says he listens to the show every week, and he works in a parts store, and he says, well, you know what? I don't appreciate you always dissing on the, uh, the aftermarket, aftermarket parts. parts. And like I ex- tried to explain to him, I said, well, you know, I really don't have a dog in the fight one way or the other. I don't get a commission on OEM parts, and I don't have any reason to say one thing or the other. I'm just reporting what I have found. And particularly the statement that he objected to is when we said probably 75% of the aftermarket parts we check do not even meet their specs. Mm-hmm. And, again, he says, well, if that was the case, they'd be out of business. They, they couldn't stay in business and all. I said, well, not necessarily. not necessarily. And one example that I gave would be, let's say, a power steering pump. Okay. You can have a power steering pump that you buy, and it's supposed to have a minimum pressure of, say, 550 PSI. All right. Well, let's say it puts out 400 PSI. You're not going to really notice that. It's going to still work for a while. Uh-huh. You're going to put it on. It's going to work for a while. Maybe a year down the road, it's going to get really hard to turn the wheel because it was already way at the bottom end. Now it's way below that as it starts to set in wear in. And so you may or may not get that back under warranty. So you don't see that. Another case would be the same example with a power steering pump that's over-pressured. For instance, it's supposed to have a maximum of maybe 900 PSI. So say it's putting out 1,200 PSI. Well, you put it on, and everything's fine. It steers just fine. You don't really know anything's wrong. Six months later, the rack of pinion goes out. Well, do you relate do you, the rack of pinion back to that power steering pump? Or do you relate it to the age of the vehicle? Yeah, you say, well, okay, we just need a rack of pinion. So you change the rack and pinion, and six months later, a year later, the harmonic balancer comes apart because it's too hard to turn this pump because mm-hmm. it's putting out way too much pressure. Well, again, you do not relate that back to, to the that pump. power steering pump. Eventually, the pump tears itself up. And in, but that's two and a half years out, so you don't get it back under warranty. So the point is, being off spec does not necessarily mean it won't work or seem to work. You know, appear to function for a period of time. Another example, and I we've actually seen this in the shop, and that is guy puts an alternator on. The alternator's got a bent shaft in it because it wasn't remanufactured properly. They beat it up trying to get it apart, and the brushes are spiking, which is creating some static on the line. Well, what happened, it didn't happen right away, but eventually the transmission started giving him all kinds of problems. Well, when he elected, he figured out, well, transmission's going out. He just elected not to fix the car. Car's not worth fixing, so, so he ends we get up rid of giving it. the car away. Well, again, that alternator never went back for warranty. Nobody knew it was the alternator because it didn't get diagnosed. Ironically, somebody else got the car brought to us, and we fixed it by putting an alternator on, but that alternator hit went back as a core. It didn't go back to the original guy because we had no idea where they bought it from. We put an OEM alternator on it and fixed, and fixed the problem. It. So there are tons and tons and tons of instances like that. Another example would be a yes. wheel cylinder. A wheel cylinder comes in, and the average do-it-yourselfer has no way to know whether it's good, bad, or otherwise. All he does is puts it on. Well, it works. But let's say the bore diameter is supposed to be 35 millimeters, and this one's 35.05. 
which is out of spec. It's too big. Well, what happens is instead of lasting for 10, 12 years like it should, it, it lasts, lasts three. one or two years, and right. then it leaks fluid all over the shoes. Well, again, do you get that back right away? No, you don't. Another example is where you put a sensor of some sort on, and it fixes the problem you put it on for, but starts creating another problem that they can't figure out. Eventually, they bring it to the shop. The shop takes the junk sensor off, throws, throws it away, trash. puts another one on. I mean, we have got garbage cans full of fairly uh, right. new parts. And when I say aftermarket, a more proper word would be low-quality parts. Okay. Now, certainly not all aftermarket parts are low-quality parts. They there are, are not. some that, that are exceptional. exceed the OEM. They're better. Yep. You know, I like Moog front-end parts in their premium line. Now, Moog has two lines. you got to watch. Got, they got yep. a cheap second line, which is imported, and they got the real deal. I like those better than the original equipment parts. I Myself. find it is a better part. They do a much better job. They last a whole lot longer right. than the original stuff did. Yeah, it's a, it's an excellent part. Right. I like KYB shocks as well as the OEM part better in some cases. And I could go on and on. There are a lot of manufacturers aftermarket who make an excellent part. Yep. But then there are a lot of them that make a trash part. Well, and they, there, are, there are some OEM parts that are absolute trash. We were talking to Mr. Bruce a little earlier on that vent solenoid on the Chevy pickup. Right. Now, in my opinion, that thing should have got recalled and it should be replaced for free. But, again, well, there's an OEM <laughs> part, and the one you get ain't much better than the one you took off. Well, that's right. Another example are some of your Ford power steering components. If you buy them from Ford, they're no better. I mean, in the aftermarket, aren't much better. But that's a job that a lot of shops won't even take because they know the – there's no part they're going to get that's really going to fix the problem for very long. Yep. It's just real, real low level. So when I say aftermarket, I don't necessarily mean that all aftermarket parts are bad. Some are very good. But you have to exercise a huge amount more caution when you're buying that. I think what it comes down to is you never get more than you pay for. Exactly. You don't always get what you pay for, but you never get more than you pay for. If you see an OEM part that costs $450 and you see an aftermarket part that costs $39, guess Nothing, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It fell off a slow boat from across the sea right. somewhere. Because the markup on parts is just not that great. I think in a dealership, they make about 50% if they sell a part at list. Mm -hmm. They generally give a discount to the shop of anywhere from 10 to maybe 25% for handling the deal and handling warranty and so on as that. But there's just not hundreds and hundreds of percentage of markup in it. I had a gentleman one time come in, and he needed a catalytic converter for his Toyota, which was about a $1,200 part. Right. And I said, well, I got a friend that works Toyota can get it for $100. I said, no, wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> uh, unless he's going to steal it, he ain't going to get it for $100. You know? Exactly. There's just not that kind of markup in parts. And when you see a huge difference in, in price, price, something is, is different. Something's wrong. Now, that in and of itself is not always a problem. We, before the show, we were discussing, you've got some vehicles now that have these electronic motor mounts. Now, that is a very expensive component, maybe $450 for a motor mount. Now, you can get an aftermarket one for maybe $100, but it doesn't have all the electronics in it. It's got some kind of little circuit in there that fools the computer into thinking it's there. So it doesn't set an uh, So it's light. not going to set a code, but it's just not the same part at all. Now, that being said, let's say you got an older car, you're just taking it back and forth to work, you don't care if it vibrates some. Well, then that might be a good choice for you. Sure. Because you don't want to spend 400 plus times three or four mounts. You could put this old, this cheap mount on, not going to really tear too much else up. It's probably going to vibrate, may make well, some noise, but that may be acceptable to you. It's going to keep the engine fastened to the chassis like it's supposed it's to. It's better than the broken mount you had. Exactly. And it's a whole lot cheaper. Another example that we see a lot is like a fan clutch. It's aftermarket fan clutches. 
for the most part, are not like the OEM part. No. They're generally going to be very noisy. But that they being said, they may do the job. Yeah. They may get the job done. If you don't mind this loud roar noise from the fan beating through the air constantly, then that yeah. might be a decent choice for you. So there are different levels there. What my point is, don't think you're getting something for nothing. Don't go buy cheap junk that tears something else up. You're looking for the overall lowest cost. Correct. One more quick little break, and we'll be right back with more. I'm here with David, engineer, do-it-yourself mechanic, and actual Agco Automotive customer. You got it. So, David, you own, like, 50-something cars? <laughs> Not that many. I have five. Some are for everyday driving, and then there's my 94 Olds Cutlass Supreme Convertible and 95 Thunderbird Super Coupe. Those are more for fun. And you do a lot of the work on them yourself. I do, but when it's out of my leg and I want it done right, I take my cars over to Agco. Wouldn't trust my cars with anyone else. So, listeners, if you're less like David and more like me, not automotively inclined, take your car to Agco once a year for a general inspection. It's the best way to catch any potential problems that could lead to bigger repairs down the road. So, David, I'd love to check out your 94 Cutlass. Really? Yeah. I figured we'd cruise around, listen to some of my Michael Bolton and Kenny G CDs. I'm more of an Aerosmith fan myself. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I see, yeah. So, schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldersand, with Mr. Brian Terry right here in the co-pilot seat. Hey, between two us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Still got a few minutes. Give us a call, 291-6901. You know, we were talking earlier about the electric power steering on the steering column. Mm -hmm. And steering columns have come so far since even the horse-drawn carriage. You know, yeah. It's, yeah. the horses were hooked to the leader, which was hooked to the front axle. And when you pull the lead, the right. horses turn and the axle turn. That's right. Well, then you came along with the tiller. horseless automobile, which had the tiller on right. it, and it operates kind of like the tiller yeah. on a boat. Turn the whole axle. Right. Both wheels turn. And then you came around with a standard steering column, which was basically a shaft hooked to a gear with a big steering wheel on it. Right. And that's all its purpose was, was to turn the wheels. Well, and the real big problem with that, the first big change in that was when we started figuring out, hey, when you get in a wreck, and the front of the car collapses, it pushes that shaft back and pales the driver. <laughs> exactly. And that went all the way and up to the late, <laughs> late 60s. Yeah, the and that's not real that safe. Way. So uh, maybe we could do better than that. And yes. that's when they came out with a collapsible steering column. That was Ford came out in 67, I believe, with the collapsible steering column, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which in turn, the box was just the box. And it had a coupler that hooked to the steering shaft. And the steering shaft was two pieces. Right. And they were kind of, I think they had a plastic that was melted in between them. And when it solidified, it made a solid shaft. But in an accident, that plastic would, would shear, shear mm -hmm. and it would collapse. So when you, if your body hit the steering wheel, you didn't have that big right. you shaft. Could, you can push the yourself. wheel down to a bit. And if the frame got bent and started moving the box back, it didn't come up through the through pastor's the, compartment and pail you like the, the old direct shaft right. drives did. And, and then they started hanging blinker switches on them right. and ignition switches on them. And well, it just made it easier, more convenient for the driver because his hand was already on the wheel. So they started Everything putting, was right yeah, there. The radio controls, the, the wiper controls, right. cruise control, all that stuff. You know, before then, if the vehicle had it, like the wiper switch may have been mounted up on the dashboard somewhere. Mm -hmm. And 
that made them a little more complicated. And right. then along came the tilt wheel. And also the extendable, extendable wheel where you could move it in and out for a bigger driver could move it away from him. A small driver could move it towards him. Right. Ex- uh, call it extending wheel or there's a word for it. Yeah, I don't remember what they called it. <laughs> uh, Chevrolet was big on it. Yeah. They had it in the Corvette. Right. And then... Then came the inflatable restraint system, which right. they incorporated an airbag and a Into clock spring column. and a lot more wiring. And and now today what you have is electric power steering, which they've now mounted an electric motor down on the column. So right, right. It, it has turned into a, a real convenient place to put things. Right, and it just keeps on evolving as things go on. Let's see if we can catch another phone line. we got Don online. Good morning, Don. Hey. Yes, Good sir. morning. Yeah, my son's got a Ford Edge, and it's got that orange coolant in it. Okay. Is mm-hmm. that compatible with Dexco? No. Or no. is it different? No, it's completely different coolant all its own. Ford did not okay. use that orange coolant in very many cars. I think they use it in the Edge. They use it in some of the Thunderbirds. They might have used it in a couple of the pickup trucks, but they've got a gold coolant. Now, you got to watch. The gold coolant VC7B is not compatible with the orange either. The orange okay. is a unique coolant. All for that application. Itself. And they only used a handful of them. We go and buy it from Ford. It's not that expensive, and that way you got the right thing. But Dexcool is orange, but it's not the same coolant. And then Chrysler's also got an orange coolant that is also different. Dexcool is a HOT, and that's an OAT, so they're a little bit different chemistry on them. I would not mix the two. I'd go buy the right stuff. It's just not enough right. savings to take any kind okay. of a risk with it. All right. Thanks. Uh, okay, man. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to part of the automotive, we still got a few minutes. Glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. You know, a lot of those manufacturers have gone to different types of coolant mm-hmm. for the same line. I mean, we've got barrels and barrels and oh, yeah. jugs and all kind of cases of coolant. Coolant, different which coolants. basically inflates the cost to everyone because you got to stock more things. You can't buy as much of any one of them, so you don't buy it as cheap. It's not as cheap to transport individual containers as it is one big container, so... On every level, it adds cost to the customer, but that's just the way the world works. What you don't want to do is be penny-wise and dollar-foolish. Well, I'm going to save a few dollars get a universal coolant and put in there. No, you don't want to do that. Because if it eats up the cooling system or causes the water pump to go out. Or or heater core. Heater core or whatever, you could easily be spending hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of dollars, to try to save a couple of dollars. Exactly. It's sort of like our discussion earlier where we were discussing aftermarket parts. Is it really worth it? I mean, is it really, really worth it to save twenty bucks on this part, and it tear up twelve thousand dollars worth? It of tear stuff. up something else. I remember we had a gentleman who came in and he had a Honda and it would not run. Mm-hmm. And I was discussing it with him. He said, "Well, the check engine light came on, and I changed the oxygen sensor, and then it wouldn't start." Okay. So we started looking, and what happens is that he got an aftermarket oxygen sensor. The problem was this car uses an air-fuel sensor. Right. And it would not plug up, but it was, since it was one of those universal-type sensors, it just had leads on it, and you were supposed to cut the wires and hook yours up. Right. Which he did. He hooked it up to the original connector, so he got it to plug in, except that it ran power back into the computer and knocked the computer out. Gotcha. So now we had to buy an air-fuel sensor, which was about $300. We had to buy a computer, which was about $1,200. And all to fix a problem that originally the air fuel sensor would have cost him $300. He bought an oxygen sensor at a parts store for $100, so he thought he saved $200. But he ended up spending $1,500. To get it running. To get it running again. Yeah. And that's the kind of things that can happen to you. And another example is like with tires. You're really not going to save money on tires. No. When you get 
attire, and it goes back to our other discussion earlier where he says, well, does this work? Yes. Well, the cheapest tire that you find is going to be black, it's going to have tread on it, and it's going to probably hold air. Right. So does it work? Yeah, it physically works. It goes on the rim, it's the right size and all that. However, if that tire is not round, let's say it's a quarter inch out of round, eighth inch out of round, which is being pretty optimistic on some of the stuff we've seen. I'm telling you. Now, you drive down the road, you got a vibration. So you save $250 on a set of tires, but now you got to bring them back because you got a vibration. The guy balances them again, you still got a vibration. So you go back again, he says, well, what you need is a set of shocks because this was leaking. Maybe that's what the problem is. So you put a set of shocks on that you didn't need that aren't as good as the original shocks you took off, and the vibration is still there. Now you got two problems. Well, now you say, well, that's just the way it is. I'll just live with it. I can't figure it out, so I'll live with it. So, so you, you go driving. down the road, now you got a noise under the car. Well, that's a wheel bearing that got beat up because of the out around tire. So you change the wheel bearing. Well, six months later, now you got a leak. Well, that's the rack and pinion that's tore up. Because the seals from, got beat out of it from the bad tire. That's right. So on and on and on it goes. Eventually, you just get tired of spending money on the car. You go trade the car in. Right. Now you're spending $45,000 to save $200 <laughs> on a set of tires. Exactly. So because it physically fits and appears to work, does not mean it's good. I mean, we see that all the time because we have the wherewithal to test, whereas the average do-it-yourselfer does not have not. the wherewithal to test. I know I've bought a blower motor one time, hooked it up, and checked it, and the amp draw on it was supposed to be 5 to 7 amps, and it was pulling about 25 amps, brand new. Sure. Now, it worked. Yeah, it ran. It would run. I could put it on there, it would run, and, you know, because it was a steady, consistent draw, it wouldn't blow the fuse. But what it would do if you left it in there is it would melt the speed controller. So now you buy a speed controller. Then it would melt the switch. Then you'd buy a switch. Then it would melt the control panel and burn the wires up. And nobody may ever trace that back to this defective blower well, motor. And wouldn't I, think it was defective. It's working. It's working. Yeah, it works. So just because it works does not mean it's right. Exactly. There's all different sorts of levels. And... If you took the same part that I check and think is good and sent it to a lab, they could probably find other things on it that are off spec. So I can't check everything. Mm -hmm. For instance, if I get a ball bearing, I have to go with a company that I know consistently makes good ball bearings because I would have to destroy that part to test it. Sure. I would have to break it apart, mic all the little balls in it, check the hardness on the balls. So I've destroyed the part. To t I have to do destruction testing. I can't do that. Mm -hmm. So, therefore, I have to be guided by experience, okay? I know that, for instance, Timken makes a good bearing. Right. So, if I'm buying a premium Timken bearing, I can pretty much assume that it's going to be good. I have to assume it's going to be good because that's all I can do. But if I go and, let's say, a Timken bearing or an OEM bearing is $325 for this hub bearing assembly. Now, I may go to a parts store and find one for $90. Mm -hmm. But, again... There's no way to test it. No. It will bolt onto the car. It will roll down the The wheel road. will turn. However, what else is it going to tear up? Exactly. We don't know. So the point is what my goal in auto repair is, is the overall lowest cost. In other words, lower the cost to the customer. And I do that by putting high-quality parts on every single time because then, it's always cheaper to go ahead and do it right the first time. And the key word there is overall lowest cost. Overall lowest cost. Not, not initial. the price. Overcome. Not just the price. Right. <laughs> That's the big difference between price and cost. Hey, we got to get on out of here. I see we just about out of time. We're going to start winding on up, tell everybody how much we appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on Automotive Hour. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. And go to your free rebroadcast re service or broadcast service. And if they got a place for a written review, give us a 
fill it out for us. There you go. We sure appreciate that. It moves us up in the rankings so that when someone types in all repair, our name pops up close to the top and they'll listen to us and they'll keep us on air. There you go. <laughs> hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.